Good morning, church. I'm so glad to see you. My name is CB. I get to be one of the pastors here at this church, and uh, it's my distinct and great pleasure to be back with you today. Amen. Chanel and I and our two boys uh, took the last month off, my first sabbatical, uh, my first time of rest in, in four years um, since we began the journey of planting our church. We've taken vacations, and we've definitely tried our best to rest, um, but maybe you're like me, much of my time away was spent also working, and, um, and this last month was a first opportunity for me to, to take a rest. And so maybe you're asking yourself, first of all, who is that old man on stage? Um, it's the same dude, same dude. Um, it's just that when I grew out my beard on sabbatical, and it turns out that planting a church will make you old. That's just what it means. That's it. Um, I'm encouraged, though, that after my days at Beacon, I'm going to have a solid career as a Santa, mall Santa. Um, I also believe in just letting it be, if it's gray, it's gray. I, I was going to do just for men, and so I started at the mustache, but I ran, that, I ran out, so it's just right here. I don't have enough just for men. No, I'm kidding. Um, sabbatical was a, was a blessing for me and the family. Uh, for, maybe you're wondering why take a sabbatical. I don't get to take a sabbatical, you might say. Um, the reason um, that under the direction of our board of elders and and um, the encouragement of, of my pastor to take a break is um, not to step away from, but to step into. Many times we take our vacations or our breaks as a means to step away from our vocation, our workplace, our routine, our daily lives. And, and that's not why I took it. I, I didn't have a desire to leave y'all. <laughs> you guys are everything for us. I mean, where I work is where I worship is where I play. All of you are family. We're in a small group. We're stoked to come back Tuesday night, right? Um, the point of sabbatical for me was to step into a deeper communion with the Lord, to spend time with him. And you might say, I, you, you're our pastor. You spend time with him. And it's true, I do. But it's different when it's my job. Um, much of my time with the Lord is for you, is praying for you, learning for you, studying for you, and getting ready to intercede for you. And I needed a month for me. And, um, you know, I was really worried before we went on sabbatical that I wouldn't be able to disconnect. Um, I had deleted all the apps on my phone that have to do with work and uh, closed down my email account so that everything that I got went straight to Bree. Thank you, Bree. <laughs> And the hard part was actually not disconnecting. Turns out that's really easy. Um, the hard part was what the Lord wanted to do in me. And, and that can be what sabbatical is about, is spending time with God, letting him speak on his terms and say the things he wants to say to make us in who he, into who he wants us to be. And it is my earnest prayer that I return to you today as a part of this fellowship, as a part of your church, um, ever better equipped to serve you to the best of my ability. Amen. Amen. We're going to start a brand new series today. Um, I'm excited to do this. Today we're going to start a six-week series studying the book of Jonah. So if you have your paper Bible, I'm going to give you 12 minutes to find the tiny book of Jonah. 
Um, if, if you don't have your Bible, it's super easy. But while you're looking for the book of Jonah, uh, I want to remind you, fellas, I want to tell you face-to-face, person-to-person, man-to-man, that if you have not registered for the Ash Advance, I need you to do it this week. The Ash Advance is an opportunity for us to do something different. Ash is our men's ministry. It's called Ash because we believe that the Lord gives us ashes. It gives us beauty for ashes. And our job is to simply let ourselves be burned up for the Lord so that the ash of our life is our sweet-smelling aroma, our offering to him that he might bring forth beauty through us, to our wives, to our children, and to every single person we touch. That's why we call it Ash. We call it an advance because I don't believe in retreats. I don't think that men should retreat from their family. Amen? Your family is your retreat. Amen? Your wife and your children and your home is where God gives you a place to go to rest. We call it an advance because we aim to take territory. We aim to spend a few days together in the mountains digging up and doing some hard work that we might further advance the gospel kingdom in our life and everywhere around us. Amen? Fellas, I want you to sign up. Unlike the January event, which was silent, this one's not silent. We're going to have a super competitive softball tournament out in the mountains. There's going to be a lot of other activities that you can do. Um, I'm excited to see who has real toxic masculinity out on that field. You're like, dude, chill out, man. It's a church function. Fellas, I want to make sure that you do it. I know that 250 can be a bit of a cost, but you got it, and we got it. We're going to do it together. Amen. All right, your Bibles, open them up to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and um, I'm excited to see what the Lord does. The title of our series is Course Correction. The Bible reads like this. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa, that's Jaffa, or modern-day Tel Aviv, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners, they were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The title of our message today is, May I Have Your Attention. May I Have Your Attention. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together today. I thank you for every heart and every soul that is in this room that you have preordained to hear this word today. We thank you that your word is true and errant, sufficient and authoritative. And Father, we open it with a spirit of expectation that you might change us. Now God, cleanse me and remove me that we might hear your voice and nothing else. Amen. A big idea for our conversation today is this. Uh, No matter how hard you try, you simply cannot avoid God's plan for your life. I'll say it again to you today. I don't care how strong-willed you think you are. Once God's made up his mind about you, he's going to get his way through you. Amen? I always tell this to young guys who are coming up in ministry, and they say, Pastor, how do I know I'm called? And I say, well, if you've run from it, denied it, 
ignored it, lied against it, prayed against it, fought him against it, and it's still there, then you know that you're called. God just has this uncanny knack of saying, here's the plan, and it's going to come to pass, and you can throw your little fit right now if you need to. Now, about nine months ago, the Lord had given me what I believe to be our, our summer plan for the messages we were going to preach, and gave me uh, the vision to, to walk through the book of Jonah. And I remember praying, Lord, why, why Jonah? Why not something you know, deeper? I mean, we all know the story of Jonah. How many have heard of the story of Jonah as a kid, right? I mean, it's, you know it, Jonah and the whale, right? He lives three days and he gets spit up. And then he's, you know, it's a classic story of the preacher who doesn't want to be a preacher. And everybody knows it. The problem is, is that we've all heard the story of Jonah when we were young. It's one of those beautiful Bible stories that, that details the peril of human living and the power of God living, and, and it's miraculous and unlikely and supernatural, and so those are the stories we love to tell kids when they're young. The ark, the whale, David and Goliath. And these stories we, we think we know. The problem is, is that when we learn these stories young, we don't get an opportunity to really dive into the details of the story. And so you might be here today and say, Pastor, I know this story. And I'm going to just look you dead in your face and say, no, you don't. Because when I started to study this, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have no idea what I'm talking about. No one knows this story because we all have been inoculated to this story. We got just enough. So I want to set the stage for you a little bit, and then we're going to dive, in, dive into these five um, verses here today and talk about how, how it might apply for your life. Here's the deal. This is a, a true story written by Jonah. Jonah was a prophet in the northern territory of Israel around the 8th century BC. His contemporaries were Amos and Joel. He was a prophet who was mostly concerned with delivering words of the Lord to the kings and the people of northern Israel. And he was known for having a prophecy fulfilled in 2 Kings 14 that meant for the reestablishment of the boundaries of Israel. You see, during the time of his ministry, Israel was growing financially, materially, spiritually they were dying. They were living in sin, but they were thriving in their pocketbooks. And he was a prophet who prophesied that the, the boundaries that had at one point as a part of their territory been overtaken would be reestablished, and again, they would become more prosperous. And when that thing came to pass, Jonah became kind of like the guy. And then Jonah gets this call to leave Israel. He gets this call to go to this place called Nineveh, and it's important for you and I to know what Nineveh really meant for Jonah. When Jonah was to hear this word from the Lord about this part of his ministry, it wouldn't have sounded like you've done so good in Israel. Why don't you go down to the neighbor's house and see how it goes? You see, Nineveh is a city, the seat of power for the kingdom of Assyria. And the Assyrians are a notoriously nasty and violent people. At this time, during Jonah's ministry, the Assyrians 
are the worst of the worst of the worst enemies. They're so violent, so depraved, that when people are killed by the Assyrian army, they're beheaded and put on spikes and hung on the walls, and they write poetry and songs about how they're killing and destroying Israel. You see, so when God spoke to Jonah and said, go to Assyria, he didn't say go down the street. He said, go into the enemy's camp and take back what they stole from you. But see, when you put it in that framework, you can understand that it would only be natural, even for someone like Jonah with great power and great communion with the Lord to be hesitant to go. It's probably true that there was some fear, but as we move through this study, when we get to chapter 4, we're going to understand that it wasn't just that Jonah was afraid to go into the enemy's camp and to speak truth to that evil power. He also hated those people and loved Israel. This story is not about a guy who runs from his calling. It's about a guy whose calling is mixed with his politics You see, we find in chapter 4 that he says, I don't even want them to be saved because if they're saved, they get an opportunity to live with us. I love Israel, not them. See, you miss it, though, if we only hear this when you're a young person. It's a picture, of course, of a minor prophet called to do a major thing, and that's good. A call for all of us as regular people to do extraordinary things. It's also a picture of God's plan to always reach outside of God's people to bring in more people to become God's people. I love that picture because even though Assyria is hated and feared and they're evil, God says, go make them unevil. Bring them home. Truth is, you and I have received the exact same call as Jonah. I mean, this is not the story of a preacher. This is a story of a man just like us who's been told by God, go ye into all the world and make disciples. This story is your story. And it's God saying, I'm going to need you to start telling people about me. Amen? Don't make this faith just your faith. Make this faith an our faith. And so the reason that we study this is not just because it's awesome and we get to debate what kind of whale this was in a couple of weeks, but because we get to understand how God speaks to people and says, I need you to get outside of your comfort zone. I need to have your attention so that they have my attention so that we can be one. So I'm going to open this text for you real quick. I want to show you verses one through two and remind you today, here and now, God is speaking to you right now. Verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. You need to understand this. All of God's work starts with God's words. Amen? Our God is the God who spoke all things into existence. He could have painted all things into existence. He could have breathed all things into existence. He could have molded it or sculpted it or thought it. But our God, omnipotent, all-powerful, and sovereign, decided that the way in which he, the creator, would make the created was through his words. That's why scripture matters, because it's the way in which God works. If we were a faith, if our God was a God who didn't speak, then what other method he chose to create would be our method to commune with him. Does that make sense? If he was a painter, each one of you would show up with a palette, 
with a brush, with a canvas, and I would paint and we would paint and worship. Have you ever thought about this? See, it's not just accident that it's words. It's not just accident that the things that separates humans from the rest of the animal kingdom is our language. It's not accident. It's by design. God says, I'm going to be a communicator, a speaker. I am going to create language, and language will create things. And that's why we have language. That's why words matter. That's why reading is important. That's why if you have a Bible, you should be in the Bible. Amen. You got a good-looking Bible with no dog ears? I'm telling you what, you better get to work. You got one of them pristine Bibles that when you open it, it goes... You might as well have a paperweight. Your Bible should be the most beaten and weather-worn thing in your life. Pages should be falling out of it all the time. You should be continually having having to rebind your Bible. Why? Because it has God's word, which has God's power, and thus God's presence. Amen. And our God is a speaker. He does everything through his word. And the best part about it is that he has dynamics in his communication skills. This is one of the things that I love when I work with the guys in our church who are preachers. Pastor Rob, Pastor Ty, everyone else who's going to be walking up here preaching from time to time as we train them. One of the things you'll know about me is I'm always trying to teach dynamics. You ever been under a teacher, pastor? Brilliant theologian. (sighs) Boring talker. Have you ever had that before? And so Noah began to build the ark. And lo, the Lord would say unto thee. Have you ever been there before? Same words, no resonance. And I make no bones. Dynamics are like my trick. I'm not the smartest preacher. I'm just really passionate, and I know when to yell and when to whisper. (laughs) You know where I learned that? From God. You see, your God is a communicator, and he knows when to whisper and when you need a yell. Amen? There are some times in your life, late in the midnight hour, where you're just laying there, and it feels like the Holy Spirit just waltzes into the room, and he's like, hey, for you. You have a sense of peace that washes over you. He didn't have to beat you over the head with that message. It was just the still small voice, the tender touch that says, I am God and I'm here. You've also had some moments where the Lord is like, do not get married to that person. Right? Just <laughs> loud. And you're like, I love her. No, you can't tell me what to do. And the Lord's just mad. Right? There are seasons for ups and downs, loud and quiet, and all of the in-between because the Lord knows what you need when you need it. And he loves to whisper. He loves to shout. He loves to yell. He loves to course correct and instruct and impart and encourage, motivate. And he does all of that, not through the paintings, not through the sculpture, but through the word. And because of the way in which he speaks... We as believers need to grow in the way in which we listen. Now, here's the deal. God is speaking to Jonah because he has work to accomplish. Amen? The work that God wants to accomplish here in this moment is the correction of the people 
of Nineveh. What he says in verse 2 is, I need you to go to them. I need you to talk to them. I need you to stand against them, tell them the truth, call them to repentance because their evil has finally gotten my attention. His desire is to confront sin and open the door for salvation. That's the work that God has. And so the way that he begins that work is by a word to Jonah. And so the question I want to ask you is this. Let's work backwards. What are the words that God is speaking to you? I ask you right now, because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Over the last week, month, <laughs> if you're really stubborn, year, the Lord has been continually saying something to you, hasn't he? He's been nudging it. He's been encouraging you. It started as a whisper. I just heard that song in my head. It started with a whisper. <laughs> yeah. But now it's less of a whisper and more of a kind of a rhythmic beating drum. Do you know what I'm talking about? If I hit the nerve, you, you have the thing that he's been saying to you today. We as believers get really good at sort of tuning that out. And the reason is because oftentimes we don't understand that the word that he gives us is tied to a work that he wants to accomplish. We don't see the end. We get lost in the means, and so it becomes very easy for us to avoid and to ignore what he says because we don't know what he's trying to do. And I want to pull you out of that habitual behavior that tunes out the Lord. I want to push you into a behavior that tunes into the Lord so that you can see the works of the Lord. So do you know what he has? What is he saying? Do you have that in your heart right now? I want you to ask yourself, why is he saying that to me? Stop asking, why won't you stop saying that to me? Stop, start asking, what is it that you're trying to accomplish through me? Maybe he's asked you to look for a new job. Maybe he said, I need you to leave this place to go to a new place. And you've just been so comfortable in your current place. And so all you've been asking him to do is be quiet. And the Lord is saying, but there's so much more here. Maybe he's been challenging you in your relationships. Maybe he's been challenging you in your service. Maybe he's been challenging you in your giving. You've just been so sick and tired of Bree and the team asking you to volunteer. And I want to ask you, like, why would we be saying that to you? Is it because we need you? Sure. But is it also because perhaps what the Lord is trying to do is find in you a place where he can fulfill you to give you more of a purpose than you have right now? Is God really just nagging you? <laughs> no. He's got something for you. He wants to do through you. And he begins with the word to you. Amen? But most of us, we just tune them out, don't we? You've gotten really good at tuning him out on a few things. Am I right? There's one thing he just talks all the time about. But I've gotten really good. I know exactly how to turn off that TV station. Most of us give God the silent treatment in some area of our life, and I'd ask you that question right now. Are you currently, in one area or another, giving God the silent treatment? Are you ignoring him? It's important that we ask this question because it is not a minor issue for God that you might ignore him. 
You see, in this story, when God speaks to the prophet Jonah, this is a commonplace and everyday thing for the two of them. Jonah is in the office of the prophet, which means his ear is tuned to God, and his voice sounds like God. The words that he speaks are holy gods. And so when God speaks, it's not like he hadn't heard the voice before. He doesn't go, does he? It says verse 3, but Jonah rose, <laughs> as God said, arise, but he went somewhere else. He went and fled to Tarshish. And the Bible says something interesting here that I think is important for us to note. It says that he fled from the presence of God. What we're seeing in this moment is, is, is not Jonah negotiating. It's not Jonah hesitating. In God's eyes, when God speaks and Jonah flees, Jonah is rebelling. Plain and simple. And I need to call this what it is in your life. If there's a thing that God has been speaking to you and you've been ignoring it, God does not see it as a season of negotiation, debate, or hesitancy. He sees it, ready, as rebellion. For him, it is blatant disobedience. And Jonah rebels. And there is no small rebellion to God. There's not like seasons where God's like, you know, that person is a rebel, but you just kind of like a little bit of a wild card, right? Even though, don't you think that sometimes? You're like, I'm most, you ever seen the t-shirt that says, I'm a Christian who sometimes cusses? God, that's a dangerous shirt to love. You know why? Because it matters to God. There's no small rebellion to God. There's no minor sins to God. There's no little things that you get to get away from. That's why Paul says, what then? Should we go on sinning? Of course not. Jonah, when he rebels, the Bible says that he runs from the presence of God. Now, if I'm reading this, it doesn't tell me that God walks into a conversation with Jonah. It says in verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word, the sound, the word, the sound, the word, the sound arrived to Jonah. And when Jonah decided to rebel against the word, it says that he rebelled against the presence. Here's the deal. You ready? To God, the word and the presence are always linked. What he says is who he is. That's why Jesus was called the living word. You see, when you read something in scripture that you don't like and you go, nah. When the Lord says something through a preacher or pastor to you that you go, nah. What you're not saying is I don't like those words. What you're saying is I don't want to be in agreement with the word. I don't want to be in his presence. I don't want to be with his power. I don't want him. And I need to hit this point so many times today because so many of us as believers, this is kind of a negotiable. Like we like scripture where we like scripture. We love worship because it feels good. Man, if the preacher can make me motivated and excited on a Sunday, that's good too. But if he's all mean like CB at Beacon, bah, I don't want that. But to God... It's all in and all him. Now, that I beat you up sufficiently, I want you to understand that Jonah demonstrates for us in this moment of rebellion 
the two most common types of rebellion that each one of us fall into. And they're subversive because they're so seemingly innocuous. First thing he does hmm, is he gets busy. It says, verse 3, but Jonah arose, and he went to flee to Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship, and he bought the ticket, and he got on the boat. Jonah just gets busy about being busy, right? And that is so common for every believer. It's like, you know, I mean, you've heard this, right? Pastor, I would love to come to small group, but I'm just, Tuesdays are, I'm busy, And you're like, right now, because you're here, because you don't go to small group, because you actually have a thing on Tuesday, I'm not trying to guilt you. But that excuse won't work with God when you get there. There's no such thing as too busy for God. Amen? Did you know that? There is nothing. You'll get to the gates with Peter, and he's like, you are? And he's just looking you up, right? And he's like, just as you're, you you didn't, you were, just as you were were busy. And you're like, don't worry, I'm going to talk to God about it. I'm going to get there. And you get there, and you're like, so here's the deal. I got this new job. And uh, it's a lot of travel, but it's really, really good. No point during that conversation is God going to be like, you know what? That one's cool. That's fine. You're busy. I get it. Here's the deal. Getting busy will keep you broken because busy is a great distractor from the neediness of your life and the holiness of our God and the communion that we're called to be in so that he can make you who you are. That's why habits are so common. That's why addiction is so prevalent. That's why we're addicted, almost every one of us, to something. Maybe yours isn't as dark as mine like crystal meth, but maybe you're addicted to your work. Maybe you're addicted to your kids. Maybe you're addicted to something that's got your attention. And the way that you rebel doesn't feel like rebellion, but what it is is getting busy, too busy for God. I don't hear his voice, and I run from his presence. So I need you to look at your schedule this week and ask yourself, does he fit there? Am I making time for God? Or do I just squeeze him in wherever I'm not busy? Number one, getting busy. Number two, and this is the fun part. It says he paid the fare and he went on to the boat. And then in verse five, it says, Jonah, while in the boat, went to the inner part of the ship and laid down. And he was fast asleep. Second most common way that we rebel from God is not getting busy, but going silent. Silent. We go dormant. My oldest son, he's just like me. When he and I get stressed, we go take a nap. Does anybody take a nap when you get stressed out? I just like the day's overwhelmed. I'm just like, and we're out. Right? <laughs> Done. It's common to us as in our family in the natural sense, but it's very common to the body of believers in the spiritual sense, which is when the Lord is saying some things, calling us to some things that are challenging for us, what we do is get quiet with our words, quiet with our ears, insulate, we isolate, we stay away. There's people in our church, they'll come, and I haven't seen them for a while, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. Where have you been? And they didn't prepare their excuse yet, and they're like, oh, and I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm stoked you're here. Because the truth is, is sometimes the way we rebel is we just stay away. You've done this before. I know I have. Went to church, went to a community of faith, was around some believers, and they said some things that were perfectly true, but also kind of hurt my feelings. And so I just didn't go back. Ever. 
I mean, I'm, I'm in like a hundred small groups. Before I really got serious about God when I was in college, I was all in. I joined a gospel choir. I went to this church, that church, this church. I was in a master's commission to the Assemblies of God. I was in this small group. I joined Campus Crusade for Christ, InterVarsity, Chi Alpha. You name the club. At one point, I was all in until they told me some hard truth, and I was never to be found again. Many of us have that exact same thing. It's not that we're busy. It's that we're gone. Just leave me alone. And it's true that if you you get gone for too long, you get silent or so accustomed to being isolated or away from the voice of the Lord, it is true that you can lose your familiarity with the voice of the Lord. I need you to understand the very prevalence and power of this moment when Jonah is sleeping in the bottom of the ship while the storm is raging. This is the Jonah who knows God's voice perfectly. There's no one on this boat who has more familiar conversation with God than Jonah. Not one of this, these men know God like Jonah. And there's a storm. So who should be talking to God first? Jonah, right? But he's gotten so far from God, he's lost his power of prayer. He's lost his familiarity and even the understanding that he needs to call on God. It's true that you can get so comfortable running from God, you'll even miss it when he sends a, sends a storm to correct you. There'll be some chaotic seasons in your life, and he's like, how is it not obvious that I'm trying to get your attention? I am breaking everything around you so that you'll look at me, and you're like, I don't know what's happening. It's because you've lost the ability to listen because you've gotten so comfortable at being isolated. I want to tell you that no matter which one of these patterns of behavior or rebellion is yours, neither of them ever change God's mind. Did you know that? You will not out-wrestle God on a matter of will. You can argue, but you'll lose. You can ignore him, but he'll get loud. This is the third thing I want to leave you with today is this. God is um, he's going to get your attention somehow. Guaranteed. I guarantee that no matter what happens, eventually... God will have you standing or kneeling or prostrate, saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And I want to tell you that the reason that he's going to get you to that place is because that's the place he wants you in all the time. He always wants you humble and surrender. That's why we worship, so we can be humble and surrender. That's why worship matters to you because it takes you out of the place that you think you're in six days a week to the place that you need to be right here, right now. Now, some things you need to understand about God in this moment and the ways in which he gets your attention. Verse four, it says, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, a mighty tempest, and it was as though the ship was going to break into the storm. Not a coincidence. Here it is, ready? Stop blaming things on coincidence. Amen? Be a Christ-like thinker. I used to have a pastor who said he has a Christological imagination, which meant everything in this world must be Jesus. Amen? It's good to think like that. Everything you face is a sign. Amen? See, no one ever likes this part. This life is not random. Did you know that? 
Every person that you meet today was by design. You will not stumble into somebody accidentally today. The Lord ordained it. When you see it like this, you will live to the fullness of the way that God wants you to live. You're going to meet somebody today. It's going to be the clerk, and the Lord's going to introduce the two of you over a transaction, right, of Red Bull and Twinkies, and you're going to be a little bit ashamed, (laughs) but they're not going to judge you. And that that meeting has nothing to do with what you bought, but everything to do with the one who bought their salvation. The question is, are you seeing it like God sees it? Are you taking advantage of these things like God wants you to take advantage of it? Amen? God is calling you to experience each moment of your life in the way in which he ordains each moment of your life. Seize the day we've talked about before. I need to understand that the Lord wants you in this position, he wants you with this mindset, and he wants you to have your attention on him because the Lord, more than anything in this world, desires his glory. It might sound like a strange thing to consider that our God covets his glory. He wants his glory. You ever meet somebody who's all about glorifying himself, it's kind of a turnoff, right? You ever meet somebody that every conversation you have eventually turns to them? You notice how your conversations kind of cease? The reason is because when people self-aggrandize or glorify themselves, it's off-putting because something intrinsic in the life of every human being whose breath was filled by the word and the breath of God knows that glory shouldn't fall on humans. Glory, the very concept of glory, of amor, of adoration is reserved solely for God. And our God covets his glory. He wants you in the right position, worshipful and praising him. Here's why. Not because he's vain, but because he knows that if he be lifted up, he would draw all men unto him. You see, the Lord is always going after his glory because if we all give God glory, we will all live in glory forever and ever. Amen. His desire is to get your attention so that you look at him and go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Not so that you go, what? so that you see him for who he really is. He says, um, I want your attention. I want your adoration. And I'm going to use anything to get it. You've heard me tell the story about my son's just keep swimming message about how the Lord finally got through to me and got my attention. He used the voice of my sons at ages two and four to get my attention, to call me out of my addiction. And I want to tell you today, it was a beautiful and painful, multifaceted experience with God that has forever changed me. And I want to tell you that he'll do similar things in your life. And if you're lucky, he'll do a lot of those moments where he's just like, ready? Here I am again. Ready? Here's the course correction. Ready? Do I have your attention? Let's keep doing this thing. But the truth of the matter is, is that it'll hurt if you resist it. If you run from these encounters and these transformative experiences, if your reaction to God's move course correction or his word is one of resistance or one of rebellion. I'm going to say it again. God is going to get your attention somehow. You get to choose how. Here's the deal. In this moment, when Jonah is running, God responds fiercely to this rebellion. Fiercely. The Bible says that he throws this great storm and the ship is almost about to break apart. These mariners, men of the sea, 
Men unafraid of what the sea can throw at them are literally shaking and quaking in their boots. This is a storm unlike they have ever seen before, and they are throwing their cargo off. This is a boat leaving from Jaffa to Tarshish. Tarshish is the seat in Spain of some of the world's most precious metals in this season, which meant that these men going from Tel Aviv, Israel, Jaffa to Tarshish have a boat full of money, gold, to buy gems. And these men are so afraid, they're throwing everything off. They're like, it doesn't matter. We're going to die. What does it matter? If we live and we're rich, we're going to die. And they throw everything off. And the Lord does everything he can to break this boat. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's a, it's a hard truth to know that your God wants your attention so bad. He will sink your ship or drown these pagan sailors at your side in order to get it. I need you to understand very clearly today that your rebellion and your running from God, it will cost you, but it might also cost the people around you. You see, your God wants you. And he is reckless in his pursuit of you. And it might feel like he will destroy anything to get you. And the truth of the matter is, he will. Nothing that you hold dear in this life matters to the Lord. It does not matter. Your job does not matter. Your career does not matter. Your finances, your savings, your retirement, it doesn't matter. If he doesn't have you, it's all for naught. And so he goes after Jonah and says, I'm going to sink these ship and I'm going to kill these sailors until you call on my name. Ooh, you ever been there? You ever lost, without, without embarrassing yourself, just, you know, quietly, symbolically raise your hand if you've ever lost anything because God took everything. In the moment, isn't it horrendous? And you're just like, what are you doing to me? And then Get you about six months out of it. Get you about one year out of it. Get you about 12 years sober. And you can be like, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. There is a beauty that comes with hindsight when you recognize that it's in the breaking, in the quaking, in the shaking of the natural world around you that God is captivating and arresting your spirit that he might pull you in and say, do I have your attention now? But here's the challenge. You get to pick how this attention-grabbing gesture happens. See, God is going to always respond fiercely to rebellion. And so if you run, if you ignore him, if you fight against him, he's going to fight back. Amen? And he's going to start with a word because that's the way he does it. But here's the deal. Because our God is all sovereign, if he needs to result to works, to get your attention, if he has to break the boat, he'll do that too. And he will yell, but he'd prefer to whisper. And so here's the challenge to us today, church, is can you hear the voice of the Lord in a whisper? Have you grown familiar enough in your study and in your prayer that you know what his voice sounds like? Jesus said, my sheep shall know my voice. 
when he speaks to you a course correction today, ever so slightly, ever so softly, ever so softly, are you able to hear it and take action on it? That is the call, nothing less. And God's going to get your attention. You get to choose the communication method. Amen? It's a hard word. Welcome back, Pastor. <laughs> I love you, and I wouldn't share anything with you if it wasn't in the word. So I want to pray with you today. Then we're going to worship for just a second. I want to pray with you today. I want to pray with you that your ears would be open, that your eyes would be open, and that you would be more in tune with what God is saying, no matter the volume. Today I want to pray against a spirit of stubbornness and rebellion that runs rampant in the life and heart of every believer that says when he says a thing I don't like, I don't have to listen to it. We're going to ask for soft hearts and open minds. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you are a God of second, third, and million chances. God, we thank you that once you make up your mind about us, it never changes. God, we thank you that you'll chase us down and get your way through us, period. Father, if we're being honest, many of us, we live like we get to do whatever we want. We live like your word is up for debate. We live like we get to take you or leave you as we please. And so, Father, today I'm asking that you would convict our hearts, that you would recognize that you're for us and not against us, that your words are true and they're life-giving. And when you speak a thing, it is not only always going to come to pass, but it is also for our good. God, today, I'm asking that you would soften our hard hearts, that you would remove from us the spirit of pride, that you would take the stubbornness that keeps us in our own will, that you would wash it away. That God, you'd open our ears, open our hearts, take you at your word. And even when you say a hard thing, we see it as a good thing. God, today we surrender to your word and to your will that we might live in your presence. In Jesus' name.